the Gospel of Mark. We've just recently started a, a study of this uh, New Testament uh, Gospel. And uh, so this morning we want to look at verses 9 through 11, and we'll look at the baptism of the servant. The baptism of the servant. Uh, this passage records the first appearance of the Lord Jesus uh, in the Word of God since he had been seen in the temple at the age of 12. And all we know for about the next 18 years or so of his life is really summed up by Luke uh, like this. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And we read that in Luke chapter 2, verse 52. Uh, now, those silent years of the life of Jesus were years of mental, physical, and spiritual preparation uh, for his work as the Messiah and Savior. Now, we're told in verse 8 that Jesus came in those days, in those days. Why did Jesus choose uh, this time to make his identity and his mission known to men? Well, he came now because the time was right. Uh, God's timing is always the right timing. And so uh, John the Baptist had blazed the trail, so to speak, as the forerunner. We talked about that last week. Uh, John the Baptist's crowds were large. His ministry was at its apex. And Jesus came at this time because John really had completed his work and the time for him to decrease, even in John's words, had come. Uh, Jesus came because it was God's appointed time uh, for him to be revealed. The next phrase, uh, it says there, uh, that Jesus came, and it came to pass in those days, uh, and then it says, then Jesus came. Jesus made his public appearance on the banks of the Jordan River. It was a moment that changed the world forever. Ever since Adam had sinned in the Garden of Eden, mankind had been looking for a Redeemer that could and would reconcile men to God. And since the dawn of time, fallen humanity had waited uh, for the appearance of a perfect man. Uh, did they know what they were waiting for? I'm not sure they always did. But really, uh, they needed a perfect man to come and uh, to uh, redeem their fallen souls. Humanity had never been able to produce uh, someone who could deliver them from it, their lost condition. Uh, many thousands uh, uh, of suns had risen and set on the world that held fast, uh, was held fast in the grip of crushing iniquity. But the day Jesus came, everything changes. Uh, when Jesus shows up, nothing remains as it was. And uh, you would just uh, ask uh, Zacchaeus, you could ask the uh, Gadarene uh, demoniac, you'd ask the women with the issue of blood, the three Hebrew boys, Daniel, Saul of Tarsus, Simon Peter. You, you'd just ask any of them how that uh, he impacted them in uh, through the word of God. 
Now we want to look at these verses and consider the events surrounding the baptism of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are some great blessings, I believe, in these verses, and uh, we're going to look at them this morning. Notice with me, first of all, the appearing of the Son. This is verse 9. Uh, and it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. I've already mentioned this is the first recorded appearance of the Lord Jesus in 18 or so years. Uh, when he appears, he, he comes to John the Baptist to be baptized by John. Now verse 4 tells us that John's baptism was a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. In other words, people who came to John were publicly confessing their sins. They were submitting to baptism as a symbol of their changed lives. So why was Jesus baptized? Why would he come to be baptized? Uh, he had never sinned, uh, and yet he comes to John uh, for baptism. Matthew tells us that John at first refused to baptize the Lord in Matthew chapter 3. Uh, you see, John and Jesus were related. Uh, actually, they were cousins. Uh, John probably knew the kind of life that Jesus was living. John knew that if anyone was holy, it would be the Lord Jesus. But Jesus said to him, Suffer it to be now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Again, Matthew chapter 3, verse 15. And so the phrase in that verse, to fulfill all righteousness, means that Jesus was baptized to fulfill every ordinance uh, of God. In other words, God was working through John the Baptist in those days, and Jesus wanted to identify himself with everything that was of the Father. Now, Jesus did not come to confess his sins. Uh, he did not uh, come to be baptized to signify any repentance. Jesus had no sin, uh, needed, uh, no sin that needed to be repented of. But he was baptized for several reasons. Let me just point out a few of them. First of all, he appeared in declaration. When Jesus presented himself for baptism, uh, he was making a public declaration of some very important facts. The fact was that he wanted to identify with John the Baptist's ministry. You look again at what John was preaching there in verses 7 and 8. It says, And he preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop and to unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Uh, you look again uh, uh, at those uh, words there, and Jesus came to John to place his divine seal on what John had been saying. Uh, John had been preaching to the people uh, that the kingdom of God is at hand. The Messiah is coming. Uh, Jesus came to be baptized of John to, uh, to say to John and to the people, I am the Messiah. Secondly, Jesus was baptized so that John would know that Jesus was the Messiah. In John chapter 1, verse 33, verse 30 and 34, it says, And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. So he baptized uh, 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 Jesus so that John would know that he was the Messiah. Thirdly, 
It was the signaling of the beginning of his public ministry. The baptism of the Lord Jesus was a public declaration that he was in fact the promised Messiah and that he was the Savior sent to reconcile God and man. And he is still the only way to God. Now, so he first appeared in declaration. Secondly, we find he appeared in dedication. In his baptism, Jesus was willing and publicly accepting the mission that he had been given by God the Father. Jesus had entered into the world for the sole purpose of carrying out his Father's plan uh, to redeem sinners. Uh, Jesus came to offer the kingdom to Israel and to offer his life on the cross as a ransom for many. uh, Israel rejected that offer. But God accepted the offering Christ made on Calvary's cross. And so Jesus left the dark shadows of obscurity to embark on a public mission to seek and to save that which was lost. He appeared in dedication. Thirdly, he appeared in demonstration. The baptism of Jesus also served to allow him to identify with the very people he came to save. You know, every one of those people who came to John for baptism were looking for some new life. Uh, They were looking for forgiveness of their sins. They were looking for a relationship with God. Jesus came to give those things to the, uh, the very things to lost people. He was born in a human body so that he might live among us and die for us. He was baptized to identify with us. His baptism identified him with the fallen race which he came to save. The baptism also, of course, and we know this uh, even today, that when baptism is practiced, it is a picture of his own death and resurrection. Just as the waters of muddy Jordan flowed down to the burial of the Dead Sea, the days of Jesus' life were leading him to an appointment with death. And when Jesus submitted to John's baptism, he was picturing what was going to happen to him someday. He would enter death on the cross, and he would rise again in resurrection. And he knew he was heading toward a baptism called death. And so Jesus Christ was demonstrating his solemn resolve to lay down his life on the cross for our sins. And I thank God that he came to do this for me. I trust you are as well. You see, you and I are doomed and headed for hell, and we cannot save ourselves. Jesus left the glories of heaven to live and to die in this cruel world, identify himself with us so we might be saved. Jesus walked into the wilderness of our lives, uh, becoming one of us, accepting the restrictions of life in a human form, accepting our punishment and suffering our pain. Jesus came so you and I could have life, abundant life. By the way, Jesus was also setting an example to his people. If if he saw the need to be baptized to signal the beginning of his new ministry, he expects us to be baptized to show the world we have died to our own sins and we've been raised to a new life in him. And so we have the appearing of the Son. We have the declaration, the dedication, and the demonstration. Secondly, we have the anointing of the Spirit. Now, when Jesus was baptized, a very strange thing happened. 
Mark tells us the heavens opened and the spirit in the form of a dove descended on the Lord Jesus. We read about that in verse 10. And straightway coming out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. The words heavens opened literally means that the heaven were rent in sunder. Uh, through this uh, terror, so to speak, in the heavens, the Holy Spirit would descend on the Lord Jesus and it would be in a visible form. Uh, we, and we need to take a moment just to consider the Holy Spirit and what it, uh, he did in the life of the Lord Jesus. First of all, there's a picture of, uh, of a sacrifice. A picture of sacrifice. We find the Spirit came in the form of a dove. Now the dove was an offering of the poor man, according to Leviticus 5. Two turtle doves were an offering given by Mary and Joseph when they presented Jesus as a baby in Luke chapter 2. In the minds of the people, I believe doves were associated with sacrifice. And so when Jesus came into this world, he came to live a life of self-sacrifice. He did not come to live for himself. He came to live and die for others. And the Spirit of God anointed Jesus for a life of self-sacrifice. Again, doves are birds associated with peace and gentleness and humility. And these are the attributes that are marked uh, the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus. Now, I, I think we should be careful not to forget that Jesus Christ is God here in the human flesh. He could have entered into this world in a completely different manner. He could have entered in as a man of war, uh, uh, power and judgment. Instead, he came as the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9 verse 6 says. Uh, he could have come to destroy the world and to condemn sinners, but instead he came to die on the cross so that he might convert sinners. Uh, he could have called fire uh, of God down from heaven to, to incinerate the enemies of God. Instead he absorbed the fire of God's wrath in himself on the cross so that sinners could be saved. When the Spirit of God anointed Jesus, he anointed him for a life of self-sacrifice. Not only a picture of sacrifice, but a a preparation for service. Uh, we may wonder why Jesus, who was God in the flesh, needed the Holy Spirit. Did he not possess all the power of the Godhead? Yes. Was he not God in the flesh? Yes. Uh, was he not the creator of the universe incarnate? Yes. Why did he need the Spirit's anointing? Well, Jesus needed the power of the Spirit because he did not come into this world to live as God. He came to in this world to live as a man. And when God made Adam and gave him dominion over the earth, Adam sinned and brought all the creation under the curse of sin. Jesus came as the second Adam. Uh, he came to do what the first Adam failed to do. He came to live a life as a perfect man. And while he was here on earth, Jesus laid aside his glory and the independent use of the divine prerogatives. And he needed the power of the spirit to accomplish just that. Everything that Jesus did, he did as a spirit filled man. As a spirit filled man, he lived 
a perfect life. He satisfied the just demands of God's law. He perfectly kept every rule and regulation. Uh, Then as a man, he went to the cross to die so that he could shed his innocent, perfect blood as an atonement for our sins. The life of Jesus, again, sets a tremendous example for us. You know, we're never going to live that perfect life because we have something that Jesus didn't have. We have a sin nature. We sin. We fall short. But if we would yield to the power of the Spirit of God, we would allow Him to fill our lives as we're commanded to do in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. He would manifest in us the fruit of the Spirit And we could live lives of power that bring glory to the name of God. You know, when Jesus was here, he said this. He said, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall be, he do also. And greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my father. John 14, verse 12. Jesus was just one man who was filled with the spirit of God. And when he ascended back to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in every one of his saints. Now there's the potential for every person who's saved to live a spirit-filled, spirit-controlled life. And when we do, we glorify him. We carry out his work. We accomplish much in this world. And we need to seek his face for the filling of the spirit. Now don't misunderstand me. When you're saved, you are given the Holy Spirit. He takes control of your life. He will not make you walk funny. He will not make you talk crazy. But he will cause you to do more like, be more like Jesus and you will, he will be able to use you in a greater way than you've ever imagined. He will use us just like he used Jesus. That is, he will cause us to live lives of self-sacrifice. He will cause us to live lives that bring honor and glory to the Lord. And so there's a picture of sacrifice here. There's a preparation for service. And thirdly, a perfection of the scriptures. The Spirit came on Jesus to fulfill prophecy concerning the Messiah. The Old Testament prophets said that Messiah would be a spirit-filled man. You find this in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1 through 5. Isaiah 11 says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And it shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor, reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. You know, the Jews were looking for a Messiah. Their teachers had told them that his inauguration would be spectacular. And when the events of Jesus' baptism occurred, the Jews would have recognized these signs as fulfillment of the prophecies connected with the Messiah. Sorry to say, many of them did not recognize it. They should have. 
Isaiah had prophesied it, and here it was coming to pass. And so you have the perfection of the Scriptures. Thirdly, we want to consider the approving of the Father. The third event that occurred when Jesus was baptized was the voice of the Heavenly Father coming out of heaven. And when God spoke, he voiced his approval of Jesus as his son. Notice verse 11. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Uh, The word thou in that verse can be stated as thou and thou alone. This identifies Jesus as the only begotten son of God. The word art means have always been. Jesus did not become pleasing to the Father just because he got baptized. No, Jesus had been eternally pleasing to the Father, and there had never been an instant when he was not pleasing to his Father. And then the word beloved indicates a special bond that exists between God the Father and God the Son. Notice for for a few moments here the pronouncement by the Father as he watches the baptism of his Son. Three thoughts concerning this verse. First of all, it was a public approval. The Father was letting John the Baptist and everyone else who heard him speak know that he was pleased with Jesus. He was placing his divine seal of approval upon the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus. This would not be the last time the Father would speak to let men know that Jesus had his approval. You remember on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, God said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. When God says he is pleased in the Son, he's saying a lot. That word please means to find pleasure. For 4,000 years, God had been looking on humanity and all that he had seen was sin and failure and weakness. Now he was looking on Jesus and he saw holiness and perfection and strength. And God speaks to let the world know that the son and the ministry, uh, his ministry had his seal of approval. And so we find it was a public approval. Secondly, it was a personal approval. When God spoke that day, he was also speaking for the benefit of the son. For 30 years, the father had been watching Jesus as he grew and as he matured. He watched him interact with Mary and Joseph. He watched Jesus as he interacted with his half-brothers and half-sisters. He watched him at home and in in the synagogue, on the playground, uh, if he had one there, uh, in in town and in country, uh, wherever Jesus went, the father was watching And he watched him every day of his life. He watched him in the secret places as he prayed. He listened in on every conversation. He read every thought. He heard every word. And now after 30 years of observation, God passes the verdict on his earthly life as Jesus. God looks at him and says, I am well pleased. Jesus was God in the flesh, but he was also a man. Just like any child, he needed his father's approval. And when he heard these words from heaven, the resolve in his soul was to carry out the will of the Father, and it must have been greater than ever. So it was a personal approval. And then thirdly, not only public and personal, but profound. When God pronounced his approval of the Son, he was also voicing the approval of all those who are in his Son. 
You see, when a person comes to know Christ as their Savior, the righteousness of Jesus is imputed to them, according to Romans chapter 4. In other words, when God looks upon a redeemed saint of God, he does not see the vile sins and the wicked ways. He sees his son and his son's holiness. He looks at us as though we had never sinned. How is that possible? Well, it's because God saves us, he also justifies us. That is, he puts our sins away from us forever. He declares us to be righteous when he sees us, and he does not see our wretchedness. He sees Christ's righteousness. And when God looks down upon his children, he says, They are my beloved children, in whom I am well pleased. Now that is only true if you are in Christ, or in Jesus. Philippians 3 and verse 9 says, And be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, that which is through faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. In Romans 8, 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are, what? In Christ. In Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Of course, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, and old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And then in John 10 and verse 28, it says, I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. In him is eternal life. John six thirty seven. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. You see, in him there is no rejection. In him there is hope. There is help. And there's a home in heaven. I wonder this morning, are you in him? If not, you need to be, and you can be, if you'll come to him. You know, many things took place the day Jesus Christ was baptized by John in Jordan. The greatest thing was the beginning of his ministry that would end with Jesus on the cross, dying for our sins. And thank God for the life he lives. Thank God for the ministry he fulfilled and the gift that he gave. And I trust that everyone here, in the sound of my voice this morning, has trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. If not, you need to realize he died for you, and you can be saved if you will come to him. Are you living your life under the control of the Holy Spirit this morning? Or do you need to ask God to cleanse your vessel so he can fill you and be spirit-filled and be found pleasing in the sight of the Father? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you.